the word and as we continue in communion with the Lord in, in fond remembrance of him and then we will ultimately be breaking bread and drinking the cup in remembrance of him. Let's bow our heads. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we go back 2,000 years ago to that scene that Jesus told his disciples to do this in remembrance of me, Lord, we thank you that this is a day that we can, in our hearts, review the cross and say like the hymn writer, it was for me, yes, all for me, O oh, love of God, so rich and so free. Father, thank you that we can individually, those that know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, can look at Calvary and say, truly, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, it truly is our heart's desire this morning to remember you and what you accomplished on the cross for us, paying the debt of sin that we could have never paid for ourselves. But Lord Jesus, you paid it in full. We thank you for those victorious words when you said, it is finished. And Lord, we just rejoice in the fact that the punishment of our sin has been paid in full. And now we hear the echoes of that cry, it is finished. Thank you, Lord, that we don't need to recall our sins, Lord, because our sins have been put as far as the east is from the west. They've been put behind your back. They're washed in the blood of the Lamb. So, Lord, we just praise and thank you that we can come together this morning in a unity of spirit as your church family, the people that are bought by your precious blood, to want to gather to worship you, Lord, to send up our hallelujahs of praise. We ask, Lord, that you would bless the singing of the songs as we sing about our blessed Redeemer. We pray, Lord, that you would bless our brother as he opens the word this morning and speaks to us about you, Lord, that we would hear something in it, Lord, that would cause our heart to rejoice and be blessed and be gladdened that more and more we're deeply appreciative, Lord, for what you've done for us. So, God, hear our cry as we commit ourselves into your hands, giving you praise and worship and thanks in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. Our brother. Good morning. It is good to be here this morning. It's good to see all of you. You can open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. A little bit of a different order of the service this morning. It's nice to change it up sometimes. And it looks to me like I have an hour and ten minutes to preach. So this is, this is great. Mark chapter 14. We are in the third series, the third sermon in our series leading up to Jesus' crucifixion and then His resurrection on Resurrection Sunday. And we have already heard about Jesus coming into Jerusalem as the Messiah King, as our brother Justin preached about him coming down the Mount of Olives and arriving at Jerusalem to uh, much fanfare from the people of the city. And then we heard last week about Jesus being anointed for his burial by one wholly devoted to him. And so this morning we are in Mark chapter 14 to look at the Passover that Jesus celebrates with his disciples so we are spending time looking at this very, very important meal that Jesus shares with the Twelve right before He is arrested. Uh, if you remember the, the events of the week, so this is going to be a sleepless night for Jesus. They head from here to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then He is arrested, and all the events after that transpire, and He is ultimately, the next day, put on the cross. Um, so we are at the last uh, probably peaceful moment that Jesus has with his disciples before the crucifixion. 
And so in Mark chapter 14, we'll start reading in verse 12. And our task this morning is to look at two different things. So we'll look at first Jesus and how he compares to and fulfills the Old Testament Passover. And so we'll spend some time back in Exodus looking at the Passover meal that they are celebrating uh, Jesus and his disciples. And then we'll look at the establishment of the new covenant. So so they, they celebrate the Passover and then Jesus at the towards the end of that meal inaugurates the new covenant and gives us the Lord's Supper right as the the ceremonial meal for the new covenant and it's going to be a joy to preach on this and then have all the have the opportunity for all of us to partake of the Lord's Supper and so we'll um, pray that God blesses our time here this morning so Mark chapter 14 starting in verse 12 And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready, There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So this is the first day of unleavened bread, which was a whole week, a feast for a whole week. And we are immediately clued in by Mark as he's sharing with us the events and looking back on what Jesus did. We're immediately clued in that there's going to be a connection between the Passover lamb and Jesus. Right? And we'll go through the Old Testament and see this connection more so as we work through this passage and then Exodus chapter 12. But Mark gives us that clue right off the bat when he says in verse 12, the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. And if you've, if you were following Mark's gospel, uh, our youth group has been doing this, so those that are in the youth group should pick up on this, but Jesus has been mentioning multiple times that he's going to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And every time the disciples have no idea what he's talking about and they misunderstand and and don't get what he is saying. But he has been bringing this up again and again. And Mark mentions it three times. And so when we get to the point of mentioning in this passage the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, there should be a connection that the reader draws back to what Jesus has been saying about dying. So Mark draws our attention to what Jesus is about to do. And so Jesus sends his disciples, he sends two of them, into the city to get the Passover meal ready. And this was a daunting task in Jerusalem at this time. Um, As I think somebody has mentioned previously, Jerusalem swelled in numbers during this week, right? Many, many Israelites would come to the city to celebrate the Passover. And so there were massive numbers of people. And so finding a place to have the Passover meal, finding a room, making all the preparations, this would have been a task that required time, effort, um, and, and much advanced planning. The lamb had to be prepared. You needed to get a room. All the things for the meal needed to be brought together. Jesus does not have time. It is one of the things that at the end of this week, he knows there are things coming that he is going to experience that put him on short time. This is the night, as I mentioned, that he's going to be arrested and he will be put on trial. He does not have a lot of time to get this ready. So in a wonderful display of his sovereignty, right, he 
he sends his disciples to a certain place, to a certain man, to a certain room that is already ready for them. Right? This is his sovereignty, his omniscience on display. And they found it just as he told them. Right? And just, just looking at this quickly and pulling a little bit of application, we need to remember that anything our Lord tells us is trustworthy. Right? Things will always be just as he has told us. And that is a wonderful comfort as we read through the rest of the scriptures. And so they have a short time, or they make short work of preparing for this, and they are able to sit down that evening to this meal of commemoration, this meal remembering the Passover, the something that Jews had done for centuries. And so let's look at what is the Old Testament Passover. What is this meal they were celebrating? And to do that, we need to go back to Exodus. And we'll spend some time there so you can turn back to Exodus chapter 11 as we look exactly at the original event that Jesus and the disciples are commemorating and celebrating in Mark chapter 14. So go back to Exodus chapter 11. We'll read a few passages and we'll see what God did in Exodus and how this this meal was established that was commemorated for centuries. And the other thing we want to look at here is why is this going to be so closely connected to Jesus' death? What is it about the Passover that causes Paul in 1 Corinthians to say that Jesus is our Passover lamb? There's something in this that is specifically connected to Jesus. So if you know your your Old Testament and you know Exodus and the story of Moses bringing the Israelites out, they had been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years by Pharaoh, by the Egyptians. And Moses has been sent by God to free the people, right? to tell Pharaoh very famously, let my people go. And up to this point in Exodus chapter 11, Pharaoh has refused and he has told Moses, that they are not going to go anywhere and that he is not going to let them go. He has had a very hard heart and he has endured, because of that hard heart, nine plagues of varying degrees, of varying difficulty. But this tenth plague that is spoken of in Exodus chapter 11 is going to be the worst and it is going to be the plague that makes Pharaoh finally say, get out. It is going to punish Egypt and Israel will be spared and they will be set free. And so the the plague is spoken in Exodus chapter 11, starting in verse 4, and says there, So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So this is what Pharaoh hears, and his heart remains hard. And so we come down to chapter 12, and we find out that God is not going to simply spare Israel in his Sovereignty, He is giving Israel something to do so that they will not experience the judgment that is coming on the Egyptians. And so this is where the Passover celebration and meal come from is what is spoken here in Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1. So we'll, we'll start reading there. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. 
Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. God is going to spare Israel through sacrifice. Let's keep reading in verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. As you, as you hear this read or as you read through it, you can start to see the, the parallels to Jesus and what He is going to do on the cross. And let's go through this and look specifically at some of the things that are connections to what Jesus is going to do. Why, why Paul says that Christ is our Passover lamb. First, Moses here in Exodus speaks of a new beginning, right? God tells him to to mark this as the beginning of a new month. There is something new that is happening. It is almost like a new life is coming to the Israelite community. Right? This is similar to a birthday. They are going to come out of Egypt as a new people freed for the first time. Secondly, we see that each home was to take a lamb or two homes were to share a lamb. Basically, every single home needed a lamb in order to be spared. There was no other way to escape the judgment that God was bringing on the Egyptians. And if the house was too small then for, for the land, then you would share. And we're reminded when we get into the Gospels that Christ, the Passover lamb, right, is too big for the house of Israel. But He would instead redeem the world. The lamb had to be without blemish, foreshadowing the sinlessness of Christ. And then the, the lamb had to be killed. There must be blood shed. And that blood needed to be applied to the home. Death was necessary. The blood had to be spilt. And then this had to be a hasty meal because they were ready to depart. Right? This, this death and this sacrifice was going to bring about the freeing of the people of Israel. And there would also be judgment and destruction. It's interesting to think there would be death in every home in Egypt on the night that God sent this plague. Either a firstborn of the home would be dead, right, or a lamb would be dead. Where the Egyptians would suffer and be punished, the Israelites would be spared and set free 
by the death of the Passover lamb. And so we see this theme of deliverance through sacrifice being taught in Exodus. And we know as we get to the Gospels that Jesus is going to fulfill this in a much more glorious way. It is the Lord's Passover. Because God's judgment is coming. And so if you are going to be spared, He must be the one that will pass over you. And this is what they remembered and commemorated for generations. So that the, so the Israelites would never ever forget that God freed them from their bondage. When they celebrated the Passover, it was a reminder that God was the one who spared them and God set them free from their enslavement. As we look at this this morning, I want to look at a couple of questions here in regards to the Passover. The first one is this. Why were the Israelites also in danger of God's judgment on Egypt? Why were the Israelites in danger of God's judgment on Egypt? Because this was God's judgment on Egypt. They were the ones enslaving the Israelites. They were the ones that God said, let my people go, and they didn't. They were the ones that were disobeying God. They were cruel. They were murderous. And God, even in Exodus 12, 12 here, says, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. He is sending this against the Egyptians, against the gods of Egypt. So why are the Israelites, unless they follow this sacrificial event, unless they do this, why are they also in danger of punishment? Because if there was an Israelite home that did not sacrifice the lamb and put the blood on the door, the firstborn would die in that home. There's judgment that would befall that home. Couldn't God just make a distinction between Egypt and Israel? He had done this before. You think of the plagues of the flies or the hail or the darkness. In those specific plagues, God made a distinction between Egypt and Israel. The Egyptians suffered the plague. The Israelites did not. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. In fact, in my mind, if you can keep flies in one area and not in the Israelite area, I think it's easy to get the right address when you're sending the destroying angel. This seems like the easier of the two. So why does God send His judgment to Israelite homes, but give them a way out through an atoning sacrifice? As certainly we today can look back and see that He did this for the picture, but, but you don't send judgment just for the sake of a picture. The judgment was real. So why does God threaten judgment on the Israelite homes but give them a way out? He does this because the Israelite sins are also great. Yes, the Egyptians are sinful. Yes, the Egyptians have enslaved and and gone against God. But so have the Israelites. Every Israelite was a sinner from birth. You see this throughout Exodus and and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and all of the Old Testament. They sin and they grumble as God rescues them. Even when when Moses came initially and they, they got their straw taken away, they start to grumble and they say, what are you doing to us, Moses? And ultimately their grumbling is against God. And, and after they're rescued, they will continue to grumble and complain and long to go back to Egypt. In fact, most of this generation will die in the wilderness for their grumbling and their sin. 
They deserve death for their sins. The wages of sin is death. And every Israelite home deserved the judgment that God sent on the Egyptian homes. They're not being rescued for their righteousness. The Passover lamb is a merciful, gracious gift of God to His undeserving people. They deserve the judgment, but His grace and His steadfast love intervenes and saves His people. Was the averting of this judgment, of this justice on the Israelites, was it successful? We can say yes and we can say no. Yes, the Israelites obeyed. The lamb was sacrificed, right? Death did not come to Israelite homes in Exodus when the Passover occurred. The meal was eaten, right? They made good use of their their readiness and they left Egypt free after the destroying angel passed over. So yes, the the averting of God's judgment was successful. But at the same time, it wasn't. Because God's judgment on their sin was not satisfied. Because the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. That's what we read in Hebrews 10.4, and that's what we saw through the entire Old Testament sacrificial system. Right? The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away, it cannot deal with your sin. So even though judgment was coming, and God told them to sacrifice this lamb, it did not take away the sin of the Israelites. Like I said before, the, the Israelites, most of them who left Egypt, died in the wilderness for their sins. Right? The Passover lamb did not save them. It rescued them from Egypt by God's divine plan, but it did not save their souls from death. As we watch the Israelites sacrifice animal after animal in the tabernacle and the temple of the Old Testament, this picture continues, Right? In those sacrifices, there is a reminder that they need a sacrifice. There is not an actual taking away of sin. And it's the same with the Passover lamb. Full and complete satisfaction of God's wrath required a different Passover lamb. It required a different sacrifice. God's people still needed redemption from their sins. An exodus from God's eternal judgment, right? An exodus from the, the bondage of sin. And this could not be done by an animal. It could not be done by a lamb. And so this is the Old Testament Passover. An event that every year the Israelites celebrated and were reminded of their leaving of Egypt. But it was also, if they were thinking about the coming Messiah, a reminder that they still needed rescue and they still needed redemption. And so this was a foreshadowing of the coming Messiah who would truly and eternally free His people free his people from the judgment that their sins deserved. The eternal judgment that their sins deserved, right? Not a leaving of a location, but rather a leaving of the bondage of sin, right? Leaving from that place where we are under the judgment of God to go to the glorious freedom of the children of God. And so if you think about Jesus eating the Passover. Right? All of this imagery and all of this, these pictures from the Old Testament, all of this typology is, is there and He 
is the Passover lamb that has come. And he is eating the Passover, remembering and looking back to all these things that God did that were pictures that he is about to fulfill. Right? He is the lamb, the, the lamb without blemish, the lamb that is too big for the house of Israel. He is the lamb that will be slain for the rescue of his people. And this will be the beginning of their new lives. Many of you in your testimonies will say, you know, I was born in, in such and such a year, but I had a new birth in this year. Right? This, this moment when I was set free by Jesus Christ. And just like the Israelites were set free out of Egypt, Jesus comes as the Passover lamb to set his people truly free. Because God's judgment is coming. Right? And it should fall on the head of every sinner who has disobeyed and broken God's laws, broken his covenant. But when Jesus steps in as the Passover lamb, God's judgment is truly averted and then satisfied. Right? It is not simply covered over for a time, like the Old Testament sacrificial system did. Right? It is actually satisfied completely and fully and forever is the judgment of God satisfied in Jesus Christ the Passover lamb. And for everyone who believes the gospel, right, Jesus is our Passover lamb. And so he is with his disciples on this evening, celebrating the Passover and being the one who will forever set free the people of God. It is such a glorious event. It is amazing to think of Jesus sitting there and, and partaking of this meal and then going to the cross and doing what the meal was a picture of. You can go back to to Mark chapter 14. Because there's more here than just a a picture that came from the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't just celebrate the Passover. He begins something completely new. And so we're coming to our second point, our second main question, or not a question, but sorry, an area of focus, and it's the new covenant that Jesus establishes at the Passover meal, right? He, he enters the Passover meal as the fulfillment, and then he completely takes it over and starts something new. And so in Mark chapter 14, we'll start reading in verse 22. This is right after he speaks of one of the disciples betraying him. He says in verse 22, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them. And he said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. The the Passover meal is changing. We are entering into a new meal that is going to commemorate something new. And that is what we have the honor and the privilege of, of partaking of today. So Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, He broke it, and He gave it to them. He says, take, this is my body. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke adds, do this in remembrance of me. We are commanded to do what we are doing today, remembering the Lord in the breaking of bread and in the drinking of the cup. He gives a physical, visible sign of remembrance, just like the Passover meal was given to the Israelites. But this is a reminder for us of what Jesus was about to do. 
was about to have his body broken. He was about to have his body torn for the redemption, for the freeing, for the exodus of his people. Then he takes the cup and he, he gave thanks and he gave it to them. He says, this is my blood of the, of the new covenant which is poured out for many. In Luke, it mentions new covenant. In Matthew, it mentions at the end of that phrase, for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is saying, this is the blood of, my, of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And again, he gives a physical, visible reminder for all believers of all generations after to remember what Jesus did in the breaking of His body, in the pouring out of His blood so that His people could be eternally and fully redeemed. And so we see that this goes far beyond just fulfilling the picture of the Passover. Right? It is, it is no less than that, but it's certainly more than that. Right? This is the new covenant being inaugurated. Something entirely new. There's many covenants in the Old Testament leading up to the New Covenant. And Jesus is the fulfillment and the completion of every Old Testament covenant. And then He establishes the New Covenant. I think it will be valuable to, to look at and just quickly work through some of the Old Covenants because there's a beautiful picture in those covenants when we see what Jesus does in the New Covenant. In all of the Old Testament covenants, we see... God's faithfulness and man's failures. If you think about Adam, right, the first man created, created to bear the image of God on the earth, and he fails. He sins. He breaks the command of God. And he plunges mankind into sin. He does not bear God's image perfectly as he was meant to do. And so God sends his judgment, and then as it were, restarts that creation mandate with Noah. Right, Noah is saved with his family from the judgment of God, and he's given, given Adam's mandate into a world that is, is renewed after the flood. And the first thing the scripture tells us that Moses does is he plants a vineyard, and he partakes of the wine, and he becomes drunk, and he sins against God. Right, he again fails to bear the image of God perfectly. And mankind after that is, continues in their sinful ways. And then God calls Abram out of a sinful nation. And He makes a covenant with Abram. And He is to become a great nation. He is to represent God to all the nations of the world. That is what Abraham is to do. That is what His people that come after Him are to do. And we know the story. It's the same as the previous two. right? He and His descendants sin and fail to represent God perfectly. After the Passover... God covenants with Israel at Mount Sinai. He gives them the law. Right? And Israel is perfectly positioned. Once they enter the, the promised land, they are perfectly positioned to showcase God's glory to the surrounding nations. Right? They were put on a pathway between the major ancient peoples of, of that time period. And so they were on basically a travel route where God's glory could be shown forth from them to the nations of the world at that time. But before Moses comes down the mountain with the covenant tablets of God, the people of Israel have already broken the covenant. Right? They have created their own little idol and started to worship it. 
right before they've even received the physical commandments, when the presence of God is on the mountain above them, they're worshiping something different down below. And then we know the story of the Old Testament. They continue to fail throughout their generations and sin, and they do not keep the covenant of God. David is given the covenantal promises of God. He is the king who is to be a man after God's own heart. And he is, but he sins grievously. Most famously with Bathsheba and the adultery and the murder that come after that. Right? He is not the perfect king. In every covenant of the Old Testament, mankind failed and left a longing for the one that would not fail. If you read the Old Testament, and especially when I get to Judges in the Old Testament, I always have a little bit of hope when a new person arises to, to shepherd the people of Israel, right? And they, they start off well, and they, they are faithful to the Lord, and they seem to be following His laws and representing Him well, and then invariably every time they fail, they stumble, they fall. And you're left watching all of these faithful people in the Old Testament fall again and again, you're left with this longing for someone who will not fail, somebody who will get it right. But these are not people that we should hope in, but rather they are signs, they are clues that one day a Savior is going to come. They are people that point us forward to somebody else. And so Jesus, again, steps onto the scene partakes of the Passover and establishes a new covenant because He is the one who will never fail. He is the one who is going to create a new covenant that will never be broken by man. right? Because the man in the covenant is Jesus. right? And He has fulfilled everything perfectly. And throughout the Old Testament, we see this prophesied and predicted. Right? This new covenant, this one that is coming, the one who will take away sins the, the, the king who will be the perfect king, right? The leader who will never lead his people astray. The, the good shepherd. We see in the Old Testament sacrificial system, this, this idea that blood payment must be made, but it can't be made by the animals, so it leaves us longing for something else in the future. We see it when, when Isaac is spared by a ram caught in the thicket. We see it in the Passover like we have talked about. In each of these covenants and these events of the Old Testament, God is pointing His people forward to a greater one who is coming. And there's certainly so much to be understood and looked at and poured through if you, if you start getting into the covenants of the Old Testament. But for our sake this morning, I want to highlight one portion of one of these covenants that we might rejoice in our great Savior. And this comes from Genesis chapter 15. This is when God makes covenant promises to Abraham and he seals them with a sign. And God commands Abraham to take a series of animals and kill them and cut them in half and put one on the left side and one on the right side and create a path in between them. And God makes his covenant promises to Abraham. And this would have been a traditional method of making a covenant in that day. This this odd killing and separating of the animals. But what would normally happen is that when two parties wanted to make a blood covenant like this, they would draw up the covenant and the things that the one party was supposed to do and the, the things that the other party was supposed to do, and then they would kill these animals and split them 
and they would both walk in between these split animals. And the two parties in the covenant were saying by that physical sign that if we break this covenant, if either one of us breaks this covenant, we are to become like these animals. And so God has Abraham set up this picture and this covenant. And then we read in Genesis chapter 15, verse 12, a deep sleep fell on Abram. He's not, he's not going to wake and to walk through the, the animal pieces. Genesis chapter 15, verse 17, it says, When the sun had gone down, and it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And we see smoke and fire representing God at many points throughout the Old Testament. And what happens is that God walks between the pieces. And Abraham doesn't. Abraham slept and God moved through the split animals. In that moment, God was making a covenant promise to Abraham. And to all who follow in the footsteps of Abraham as his spiritual descendants. And I want us to think about this as we consider the Lord's Supper and the New Covenant. Ralph Vanderlaan says this, and it's an excellent quote. I want to read about this event where God passes between the pieces of the animals. He says, in the usual blood covenant, each party was responsible for keeping only his side of the promise. When God made covenant with Abraham, however, he promised to keep both sides of the agreement. If this covenant is broken, Abraham, for whatever reason, for my unfaithfulness or for yours, I will pay the price, said God. If you or your descendants for whom you are making this covenant fail to keep it, I will pay the price in blood. At that moment, Almighty God pronounced the death sentence on His Son, Jesus. And so Jesus came. And He lived the perfect life. And He perfectly imaged God to the world. And where Adam and Noah and Abraham and all of Israel and David and the disciples and you and I fail, he succeeded. And yet, he took the judgment of a covenant breaker. He took the judgment of rebellious sinners. And he paid the price with his own blood. And that is exactly why he establishes a new covenant. Because it's a covenant where all the work is accomplished. It's one that is completely fulfilled in Him. It doesn't require us to work or to do. It takes care of all of our failings forever, for all of eternity. It's the new covenant in His blood. And it cannot fail because it is wholly dependent on Him. And He has already accomplished all of the work. And so when we believe, we are united by faith to Jesus Christ. And we escape from the bondage of sin. Just as Israel came running out of the land of Egypt. And we are set free in Christ to begin life anew. And we become one with the perfect representative of God on earth. 
The, the perfect Adam. It was Jesus Christ. The perfect Noah. The perfect Abraham. The perfect Israel. The perfect King David. It was Jesus Christ. And we are freed from our bondage and forever treated as the perfect covenant-keeping Son of God. That is the new covenant. And so yes, the, the Passover supper was a wonderful time to remember what happened to Israel. But the Lord's Supper right, is the commemoration of freedom from bondage for every single believer here. And redemption brought about by God's substitute that He sent because He took on the full penalty of the covenant breaking upon Himself. And so just as God gave Israel a ceremony to remember their rescue from Egypt, He has given us a ceremony to remember our rescue from the bondage of sin. And that is what we have before us this morning. It's the meal of an eternal covenant that will one day be consummated in heaven with our Lord, our Passover Lamb. And brother and sister, you will certainly be there because there is nothing, nothing that can undo what Jesus has accomplished and done. And your failures were all washed away by Him. There is nothing that can undo what He has done. He is the perfect Passover Lamb that has established a new eternal covenant that we enter into by faith. And so in closing, as we have the opportunity on this wonderful Sunday to celebrate the Lord's Supper, I'm, I'm sure there's application and things that we could draw out of what we've talked about this morning. And perhaps if you are spending time over lunch with other believers, you can talk about some of that application or maybe with a, your small group at some point. But I don't have application today because I just want us to look upon Jesus Christ and rejoice in our Passover Lamb. The one who has given us eternal salvation, has given us a new covenant, has forever taken away our sins, and has given us this glorious opportunity to go before Him and to remember what He did in the Lord's Supper. If you are not saved, this is your only hope. You must believe upon this Lord Jesus Christ and so be saved. There is no other way to escape. But as believers, let us do what, what John the Baptist says to do. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so let's enter into that and meditate deeply on our deliverance and worship our Lord as we remember Him in the breaking of bread. Let's pray. Our glorious Savior and Lord, it can, it ought to bring us to tears to think about what you have done for us. And we just praise you this morning for the opportunity to think on what you have done, to look at our, our Passover lamb, not a, not a, a picture, not a symbol of what was to come, but the actual true Passover lamb who came and took away our sins, my sins, forever, for all eternity. Lord, it, it takes our breath away. It astounds us. It, it just breaks us down to know that we deserved none of this, and you did all of it. And we want to just 
come before you this morning and ask that you would be gracious to us and allow us to focus and and think on you and see you clearly and worship you this morning with a full heart to worship our Passover lamb, to, to worship you for the covenant that we have entered into by faith through the death of our Lord. What a glorious, beautiful truth. And we thank you for the chance to look at it this morning and just pray that you would, Father, draw us into your presence that we might worship and adore you through our, our time of singing and through our time of, of commemorating the death of our Savior through the Lord's Supper. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.